Welcome to One Sick Beat. I am your host, One Sick Beat. Where we don't cry, we thrive. And we don't whine, we whine. Today I'm here with my guest, my very first guest, Emily. She's a speech pathologist. During my journey with MS and my battles, I have problems with memory and articulation. At times I even surprise myself where I'll put down a pet bag of potato chips walk out the room to do another test and come back in and be surprised like somebody left me a gift of my own. So today I have Emily, a speech pathologist. Hello, Emily. Hey, Brandy. How are you doing today? I'm having a really good day today. Got a lot of fun things done. I get ready for Christmas next week. Yes, that is exciting. How has COVID-19 been treating? Well, you know, it's had its ups and downs like everybody. Um, uh, where I work, I was furloughed for uh, several weeks, but I'm, we're back and we're open and treating people. And I'm seeing a few people post-COVID and the fatigue is real for those folks. So what I'm seeing across the board with patients coming for outpatient therapy during this COVID season is people have had a lot of functional decline because they've been isolated at home. They're not in their normal routines of going out to meet friends or participate in civic things or church or whatever it is that they do. Even family, they don't get to be with family as much. So they're not talking as much. They're not just using their minds as much working at home. Like the days become more the same instead of having something new and different each day or each week to do. So you're not stimulated cognitively as much, not stimulated socially as much, emotionally as much. And so people are declining and there's some depression coming along with that as well. Even when we get through, oh Lord, please get us through COVID soon, where we start to return to our norm. I don't even believe in vaccines. I don't even get the flu vaccine. Literally, I don't get the flu vaccine and I'm so... I'm so ready for the promise, the hope of COVID vaccine, because I need to get back the little part that I have. That's the only thing I have. And I feel like I am declining because I'm back in that space where I'm not. And you don't have to use your brain when you're at home. I can turn on the TV. I can go through swipe up and down with Instagram. And that's not really I'm not doing it where I'm at work. I have to interact with other coworkers. I have to Mm -hmm. give a description or when we have budget meetings, I have to talk. Whereas we're in COVID-19, we're doing Zoom. So it's a, hey, these are the numbers. Yay, everybody's doing good. This is your task. Like, what is this? What is that? Well, I hope it's not the normal like it was pre-COVID. I hope the new normal is that we are much more aware of one another and considerate of one another and seeking out opportunities to interact with people versus come home, shut the garage door. I'm in my bubble. If you're already a homebody, it kind of can be okay. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what you do. You know, it kind of can be okay. And then it kind of can because at least you get out to do something, rather it's go to a store to look at whatever books, mics, mics, whatever you're into. Versus now you're just confined and I'm I, that that social interaction to keep mm-hmm. your brain going and and physical so, and yeah. also physically I've definitely declined because I don't get out and I, I can be honest I don't get out and walk as much or do anything as much I go from one room to another room to maybe when I do go to the grocery store and mask up and you yeah. know do that so I know physically the strength probably needs to be worked on too. 
Yeah, well, COVID has been bad for uh, people's uh, for their these, especially these type of diseases. I mean, actually, not even diseases. You don't have to be there. This COVID is driving people who are uh, going crazy. And see, for me, the funny thing about COVID is to watch people who are healthy go crazy about being confined to their home, to not be able to go to the movies, to not be able to go out to eat. When I have went through periods and months where I can't go out to eat, I can't go to the movie theater, physically can't make it up the stairs in the movie theater Mm -hmm. or, and you have to be satisfied in that and find happiness within that bubble. You're right. You're totally right. And I hope it, I hope it raises everybody's awareness that people are on different paths and just be more thoughtful, just more empathetic, sympathetic toward everybody because everybody's got something going on. Yeah, they're not one, not one person. You you don't pick up the phone. Everybody has a little bit of something, rather it's this, rather it's that. And the people aren't empathetic. And then you see all this stuff that's still going on, the the meanness, the cruelty, and like we're trapped in our house. Like, how do you have time to go out? do hurtful things to people or just insensitive or whatever. So hopefully this awakens people. And also for occupational wise, I hope that employers are more open to people with disabilities and without disabilities with certain type of battles in their house that they can still be employed and work for home that they have a different opinion on. Yeah. And don't fight as hard. Especially people with disability, I think at times we, in our position and careers, we fight hard to get, to have that home status of, can I at least stay home two days a week because physically I'm fatigued in my body, but my hand's still tight and my mind is still work. I just can't get in the car, get to work, climb the stairs, do whatever it is. So hopefully employers are out. Right. There's a way to figure it out. If they really want to figure it out, they can figure it out. Oh, yeah, because they had to figure it out during COVID-19 in a quick of a second if they want their their business not to crash. Right. And teachers, they are totally the model of change agility, being able to switch and do something different and new and still do it well. We can do something, too. Yeah, bless their heart and bless the heart of you peers that have to stay home with your kids. I don't have it in my system. I, I thank God my kids graduated my baby graduated at the end of when COVID first started from high school. Yeah. So college is based on them because I don't, I can't even teach myself, let alone to teach a kid. I know. The frustration I have with my own things, I would have a dumb kindergartner. <laughs> you have to repeat kindergarten. <laughs> my yeah. kindergartner would be That's dumb. Tough. Like, I would feel so bad for my kindergartner. <laughs> I, would, I would tell the teachers, yeah. like, we don't get Fridays off. Like, right, right, right. No, you know, it's tough. It's so tough on them. Yes, it is. And those little kids, they need the interaction. I feel bad for the kids who are getting abused and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. If it was kids who probably didn't really have the support before or struggled already in school, I can't even imagine where they are now, what's happening to them now. Yeah, because I would be dumb because I was that kid in school. The school was tough. So you have to repeat stuff over and over and over and over, Mm -hmm. even in college, over and over and over. So, Emily, can you tell my kings and queens that are listening about what your occupation is, what inspired you in your occupation to become who you are, and how does your occupation help us with MS and autoimmune diseases with neurological memory and articulation? And can you explain why we don't connect them, maybe? So when I was about uh, 12 years old, I started taking a 
sign language class at church. And because of the interest in that, I was at my grandparents' house and they subscribed to Reader's Digest. And I read an article in the Reader's Digest about a speech pathologist who taught a boy how to learn to speak after he got a cochlear implant. And I remember tearing that article out of the magazine and saying, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. And that's what I did. So I've been doing this 21 years across a lot of different settings, public schools and pediatrics, nursing home, acute care, outpatient rehab, inpatient rehab, all kinds of stuff. And so uh, now I'm in an outpatient rehab facility. And as a speech pathologist, our role in the rehabilitation process has to do, we can work with anything from swallowing and voice and with MS, that's something that we definitely work on. I can uh, I can uh, attest to that. I definitely have problems with the swallowing, and uh, yes, definitely that's that's that that's that's important. Yeah, that's usually that might even uh, be one of the main things that we do is the swallowing and voice. But we also work on speech and articulation. Uh, maybe if necessary, some sort of augmentative communication, whether that's high tech or low tech, and um, also cognition, attention and memory, planning, problem solving, thought organization, reasoning, all those kinds of things. Can you give us an example of, for instance, you were my therapist and you gave us an example, or should I say you had me do a game that you thought was (laughs) going to help me. I don't really think that it was entertaining, but, uh, and you gave me things to remember. Can you give an example of something that of like that, that you torture us patients with? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, let me zoom out just a little bit on that. So when I'm working on attention, concentration, or immediate memory, working memory, short-term memory, those kinds of things, I kind of look at it as we're doing some drill and practice, which is what you're talking about. And I'll do something with you in just a second, like a drill and practice to see if we can't get those neurons firing a little bit or try to get you more alert, more pay more attention to what's happening around you. But then we also work on external strategies, support strategies, whether that's like calendar or calendar on your phone or notes on your phone or post-it notes. You know, so a lot of times people are like, well, I put it on a post-it note, but then I can't find my post-it note kind of helping to problem solve with those external memory aids and whatever is going to be working for you. But yes. at the same time, you know, you said with the drill and practice that, that can be using external memories, but also internal memory aids like rehearsal and grouping, uh, chunking information, associating information together. So one of the things that I did <laughs> that I really like, I'll be like, here are six pictures or here are five words. And I want you to memorize these using a group, similar things together or visually get it in your mind or associate it with something. Probably remember where it's like a doctor and a bicycle. How could you remember that those go together? You know, so it's like, well, maybe the doctor told you to get exercise and you're going to ride a bike or you fell off your bike. Exactly. Because I just didn't connect a doctor and a bicycle just within those three seconds. So once you get that set in your mind, then it's like, okay, I want to make sure you can hold on to it for two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, and see if you can still remember it. So that was, that. yeah, that's one of the things I like to torture people with. <laughs> Very much so. So let's yeah. go. All right. Oh, you want me to give you one? Yes, you can give me one. I'm open. This is what this platform is. It is to 
okay. for me to be open and for people who are battling the same things I'm going through or just in life, they're going through memory problems. Maybe this will help them, even though for me, this is very interesting that I'm doing this on camera. So come on, let's go. Okay. So, all right. So I want you to try to remember these six things. They're all foods. So there's your first clue there to help you remember. It's all food. So I want you to remember. I can't write this down, right? I can't write down the food. Well, if you want to write it down right now, so you kind of can. I can write all six. You can write it down. You didn't let me write all six down. <laughs> I've gotten nicer, I guess. <laughs> oh my good. Well, no, if, I mean, if I had you in my office, I'd have you looking at the six pictures or I'd have you look at it. So it would okay. be a visual. So you can write it down. Okay. Let's go. Okay. So carrot, egg, lemon, banana, orange, tomato. So a couple things you could do. One, you could group similar things together, maybe by color, like a banana and a lemon are both yellow and an orange and carrot are both orange. Of course, then you've got tomato and egg. They're not really the same color. You could group it by shape. A banana and a carrot are long. Yeah, an egg and a lemon are kind of oval and a tomato and a orange are circle. Okay, so now that you've said that, what external things can you do like I remember far as give me an example far as I have my whiteboard and then I'll try to remember the six things you told me and we can come back to that because I don't. Yeah. So external memory aids, those can be higher tech, like your telephone, smartphone, where maybe you put notes and reminders in there, use your calendar there, or it can be a little more low tech, like post-it notes. I suggested a whiteboard and erasable board by the door that you go out of and you put notes on that, reminders on that of uh, maybe errands you need to run or things you need to take, remember to take with you or times you need to do something. Maybe you need to put post-it notes on the mirror or by your purse or whatever. Another, and this is, this is a strategy for memory is being organized. And I know that that's, that's different for everybody, but knowing where things are and keeping them in the same place. So, you know, if you have reading glasses, you don't want to just set them down anywhere. You want to have a place that they go. Even if that means you buy the same color basket or the same color, large post-it note, and you put that in a place in the room whatever it is, your phone or your glasses or whatever it is, you just lay, you find that bright pink post-it note and you lay your glasses on that. So if you're like, yeah. where did I put my glasses? I have used the purple post-it notes are my immediates, my pink and whites or whatever other colors are later. My blue is the focal points of things that I need to focus on. In two hours, what I just said, I won't remember that, <laughs> that that's what it's for, but I know that all my purple post-it notes are immediate. Like I need to adhere to them, even for work. I know those are immediate. That's a great system. Yeah, That's great because it means something to you. It's not something I told you to do. I just said, set up a system and gave examples, trying to help you put tools in your toolbox. And then you took ownership of it and decided, okay, purple's immediate, blue is later, whatever, whatever, however you coded it. Right, and I still have my whiteboard eraser by the door because with this battle it has been I have had strong severe memory problems at times so I have to remember to 
leave not leave my keys in the door, not leave my yeah. car, to, to, to turn my car off, to um now walk off like I'm royalty and my car is gonna automatically turn off or to uh my lunch or just simple things like that. You tell me to lock the door or I have the highlight marker for the mirror where you write down this morning on the mm-hmm. mirror what do you what your today your task is or whatever. So right. Even if you need to write a list of steps for getting ready because you don't want to forget any of those things and keep that in your vanity basket or on the mirror or whatever, whatever is going to work for you. I'm not going to be there every day. You've got to figure out what's going to work for you and then use it consistently. Yeah, you're very, very, very right. Now, I know that I have frustration during therapy, especially during my cognitive and my speech therapy. And yeah, that gets put off on you, even though you're there as a therapist to support me, to help me. And I Mm -hmm. know that, but during this battle, you have anger or you have frustration. So it comes off on you. So as the therapist, how do you deal with that? You're very patient because you have dealt with me And I know that I have remembered those days where you have been at my weakest moments and you have been strong to support me and to be positive and to be nice. Because I know some days you want to look at me like, girl, if you just don't do (laughs) this is not for me. Because I remember being so frustrated and saying, well, you tell me the seven things. Can you remember? Even though it wasn't your task to do it. So how do you deal with that? How do you breathe? How do you relax? How do you and how do you internalize that? Because sometimes we we as patients say some things that we really don't mean and you don't deserve. So how do you win? Right. Well, I try to remember that I'm just a small piece of your day and what you're struggling as much with is much bigger than the 45 minutes with me. If it's me, then I'll really take that to heart and think about how could I do this better or apologize for maybe what I've said wrong. I've been called condescending. I've been called stupid and, you know, not so obvious ways, but, you know. Right, right, right. Kind of some comments like that. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, I just have to remember that I, I know I did what evidence or research shows that I need to do in my practice. I'm doing the right things. I'm doing my continuing education every year and trying to build up my skills and talking to my colleagues and make sure I'm doing the right thing, uh, you know, for you. And I, I rely on that research and stuff like that. But then I also, I feel like I want the space with me too, to be a safe place in a sense that You can fail in front of me and it's okay because I'm not expecting perfection. You're not going to leave me being perfect. What I'm looking for is, am I equipping you? Am I equipping you to live your life? With MS, it's a little bit different from other things that I see neurologically because you can have MS for a very, very long time from very young and it's progressive, but you just don't know when it's going to progress and how and those kind of things versus something like a stroke. It's an event that happens and this maybe emergency and the family sort of running on adrenaline and then it sort of smooths out. And I think with MS, maybe you have that at the initial diagnosis, but you just, you learn to cope with it your whole life, right? Yeah, this or, is, uh, will be my 20 year anniversary of, I can't believe I'm saying anniversary, but I had to get to a place where it's been 20 years of it. I've been doing it. I've been holding it strong. That's what makes me certified one sick beat. 
you know, it has been a journey. And I don't think a lot of people understand MS as a whole because it is a complicated disease because MS is literally one day to the next day. Today's a good day. Tomorrow may be a day where I can't put two things together cognitively or articulate five words in the same sentence and somebody right. will think I'm drunk. I'm under right. the influence of anything or you're slow or you got to be. And it's a frustrating thing. You don't even have a trigger either. It's not like you go to bed tonight going, tomorrow's going to be a good day or a bad day. You just are living the day and whatever happens in that day. Yeah, whatever happens, happens. And along this journey, being having PPMS, primary progressive, which is only 10 to 14 percent of MS patients. So I'm special at the end of the day. Um, It is difficult because I am now too right now adjusting to having to articulate and to connect things to get them out because they'll be right there in front of me and I can't see them to get them out. So these things that I've learned from you and incorporate that you have taught me and equipped me with, I do use them on a daily basis to help. So right. now that we did that, let's get back to the, how many things did you say you supposedly told me? It was six food items that I wanted you to remember. Tomato and a orange are round. Yeah. Uh, banana, lemon, we said it was yellow. Yeah. Egg. Yes. Banana, tomato, carrot. You just got it. What did I say? You said carrot. I don't think you said that the first thing. You said tomato and orange, they were circle, and a banana and a lemon were yellow, and then what was left was egg and carrot, which you didn't, we, or we didn't initially connect a group together. But then when you started naming them, you named carrots. So you got okay. it. Yeah. Okay, well, that's better because, you know, well, you know, ask me tomorrow or ask me in the, if I don't have a nap. <laughs> yeah. and I get a nap. Today's a good day. Today was a good day. Yay. 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 Well, Yay. that's good. And it's good that you can do something like that and a drill task like that. That's great. But how does that work in real life for you? How can a grouping strategy work for you to help you remember? Maybe you group errands together by this is what I have to do in the morning or on this side of town. Or maybe it's a grocery list that you group together. Something like that. Nachos is one day. So I know what you get for nachos. There is no grocery list. There is no go to the store with my cognitive and my mind. There is no go to the store and just pick something. It has to be defined because in my mind, that grocery store is overwhelming. And the truth of the matter, it is overwhelming. That's for anybody. If you're hungry, you see too many things, you want everything. You know, that doesn't have to do with MS. But with that part of MS, I need specific. Like, I need to know the meal. And if I know the meal, then I can group together things together that I need to do for that, prepare for that meal. Yes. There you go. Yes, that's that's great. A great application of that strategy. I think that is. So I would like to thank you because you are my very first guest. And uh, yes, and I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate your journey and I appreciate what you do for your patients. Rather, they're frustrated or not. You have been very, very important in my journey and you have always supported me and made me feel not dumb or handicapped. This is what what it 
it is. It's not me and it is the disease. And sometimes that's important to know. So I would like yeah. to thank Well, I appreciate you saying all that. And thank you for having me on your podcast. This is so fun and so exciting that you're doing this. So necessary. I really pray that people will flock to this and enjoy this and learn from this. And I pray that they're comfortable and I'm going to be myself so that they can see that it's a battle, but we're going to get through it and we're just going to thrive through it. Like I said, we're not going to cry. We're going to thrive through it. And we're not going to whine. We're going to whine. Right. Right. And well, when it comes to the rehab portion of things, you may leave my office or leave the, um, you know, the whole treatment, the whole encounter and still be impaired. But did your quality of life improve while you were there? Did I do something to make things better for the short term or the long term with that with following or memory or communication? Any of that? Yes. Now the swallowing, that's a give or take. We'll leave that one up to God. That's just the ongoing battle. But as far as the memory tips and the cognitive and the linguistics of articulating my words, that has. So yeah. thank you for being a part of One Sick B. And remember, kings and queens, to be yourself. And it's okay to be yourself literally and have these battles. And don't be afraid of speaking and not feeling... At times, I feel like I'm uneducated or I cannot articulate anything. It's okay. It's okay. Like, I'm struggling right now to get out what I'm saying, but I really mean well that I want everybody to be comfortable within them. That's right. Hope is very healing, and I think that's what you offer, Brandy. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of One Sick Beat. Thank you for asking me. Take good care. Pretending to be okay, fighting in every way Everybody see you hurting, don't nobody feel your pain You feel like you might not make it to go see another day Just keep fighting anyway, I got power to make change If you're in this predicament and you're listening Got gifts as hard as missions to the one you know is fit for it No matter about the reason and no matter about the end